You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Question. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor at The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of the blackest questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. But this episode is going to be a bit different. We've asked back one of our previous guests to continue the discussion. Jason Johnson is a professor, author, and political analyst who also loves all things comics. And on his first visit here, there was some drama with his last question. Let's take a listen. In the late 1960s, the first African-American appeared in mainstream comics. Who is he? In mainstream comics? But if you're saying mainstream, I'm assuming it's Marvel or DC, so that's got to be Black Panther. Okay, well, according to my research, it's Samuel Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. I, I, am, I am disputing this. So was Jason right or wrong? To help us get to the bottom of this comic book conundrum, we've invited Evan Narcissus to join the conversation. Evan is a comic book writer and narrative designer who's written for the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, and has even written a graphic novel for Marvel titled Rise of the Black Panther. He's also worked on several titles, including the Miles Morales Spider-Man video game and Marvel's Avengers. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you again for joining this special edition of The Blackest Question. Uh, thanks for having us, Chrissy. I am humbled and flattered. I am a huge fan of Evan's work. I have interviewed him in the past. Like, I, I'm legitimately excited to be here. I'm actually very excited to have the special episode. One, first things first, Jason, you are the first guest on The Blackest Questions to come back for a second round. So that's a special honor that you and only you have. And Evan, we've seen the rise of comic books in just not just our culture, but especially in black culture. And I've known Jason a long time and this man has tried to make me a convert, but I know that he, when I see him geeking out, I guess I'm supposed to just get as excited. Just tell our listeners really quickly, how did you get into comic books and how did you get into writing and, and sort of more of the production side of comic books as well? Yeah, so, you know, uh, the early part of my story is probably a lot like Jason's. You know, I've been reading comics ever since I was a kid, learned to read from comics, you know, in part. And, you know, uh, I think I'm just one of those people that never let go, right? So, you know, you have moments where you, like, different changes happen in your life and comics fade away. That never happened for me, for better or worse. I can better, obviously, because I turned it into um, a career. But, um, yeah, and, you know, but... I took my love of writing and reading and um, took that into journalism. And I was, uh, I started as a fact checker way back when at Team People magazine and um, also built a freelance career as a cultural critic. So uh, talking about, you know, video games, comic books, movies, the stuff that I love. And I did that for many years. Um, and that work um, led me to um, uh, grabbing Marvel's attention by virtue of some of the articles I'd written about Black Panther and other work. And they offered me a chance to write Rise of the Black Panther. This is God. 2016, 2017, um, we started talking. Um, and, the, and the series started coming out in 2018 when the movie came out. So um, a little bit of serendipity there. But yeah, the, my career is taking some really wild turns. I love it. Now, really quickly, can you remember the first comic book that really got you hooked? Um, it was probably one of two. One was a reprint of Avengers, I want to say 67, which actually had was a 
um, an issue that featured Black Panther as part of the team at that point. Um, and uh, it was an adventure that involved some Asgardian giants, um, a fire giant named Surtur and an um, ice giant named Ymir. Um, anyway, uh, and I think it happened in Africa, maybe not directly in Wakanda. Um, so that's one of them. And the other one was a title called DC Comics Presents, which was a team-up title where they would team up Superman with another ca random character. And um, I want to say it was a team-up with the Blackhawks, who were just international team of pilots from World War II. Um, those are the ones I, I remember the, the furthest back. And Jason, do you remember your first uh, comic that got you hooked in? Oh, the first comic that I ever purchased was Transformers number 27, which featured the giant robot Trypticon on the front smashing through a forest and chasing the Dinobots. You may not understand any of those words, but that was the word. That These was are the all first. words that are being said, and yeah, I haven't I could understood be anything. Various forms of Farsi and Aramaic, um, you know, but yes, that was the first comic I ever bought. I had been reading my brother's, and he had everything from, you know, the classic Justice League. Uh, Superman, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Elongated Man, the 80s, old Archie stuff. But the first one I ever bought myself uh, was that one. And I would say the one that sort of transformed me into, oh, my gosh, this is something I'm always going to talk about and find interesting one way or another um, was I think it was Amazing Spider-Man number 314. And that was drawn by a guy named Todd McFarlane, who went on to make the movie Spawn and do a whole bunch of things. And the art was something I had never seen before in my life. I was so just enraptured by it. Um, I, I, I drew comics as a kid. I paid attention. I'm working on a graphic novel now. So that was the one that probably hooked me into, this is something you can do. But the first one I ever got was Transformers comic. Wow. And I will say, just so I can have some street cred, I remember Optimus Prime and the Decepticons <laughs> and like all that, and not from the movie with, you know, the inappropriate <laughs> representation of Transformers <laughs> that happened a few years ago, but I remember uh, from back in the day, the cartoons. So there's, the there's my little- The Shuck and Jai formers that we got. I, okay. I was like, what is this jazz nonsense? What <laughs> is happening? These are the Transformers I remember. Okay, so I was never really into comic books, but Jason, when you came on the show, we we had a great conversation about all things Black people, but when it came to comic books, all of a sudden, it got a little sticky. And so I wanted to make sure we cleared the air and we brought in Evan, since he's been doing such great work uh, in print and obviously uh, working on other titles and video games, uh, to see if we can come to some sort of consensus. So this first question, Jason, we already know what you think. Evan, I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. Okay. <laughs> And I have a feeling we're going to have a large conversation about this. We are. We are. Yeah. In the late 1960s, the first African-American appeared in mainstream comics. Who was he? Okay, so uh, not, not to get, like, testy at, from Jump, but the framing is really uh, important here because are we talking about a, a superhero character in a lead role, a superhero character in a sidekick role? Are, are we uh, talking about non-superhero character, like a soldier or a cowboy? Because we have some of those, too. Are we talking about African warriors? Um, so, you know, again, my caveats already haven't been logged. I feel like um, the answer y'all are probably looking for is uh, the Falcon, Sam Wilson. Um, but if memory serves, he doesn't debut until 67, whereas T'Challa... Um, uh, debuts in 66. Um, okay, more caveats. 
T'Challa is uh, Wakandan and not African-American. We said African-American. So uh, African-American is probably the Falcon. Um, but if we're talking about just black in the diasporic, in the diasporic sense, um, we got to go all the way back to like the 40s, honestly. Um, uh, and we can talk about characters like Lion Man, who was uh, a, a, an old uh, comic book character in a publication called All Negro Comics, which was put together by a man named Oren Evans um, and a bunch of other journalists and editorial uh, uh, Black folks who wanted to make their own comics to speak to the, the Black community at the time. So Lion Man, you know, there's some similarities. He guards a, 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 cache, a cache of, I want to say, uh, uranium um, in his fictional country. I don't think he was in Nigeria, but um, the cat theming, obviously, he, he was an African warrior, but no costume, no mask. He just had like a um, like a loincloth and a headband, if I remember correctly. So, you know, there's some things there, like no no explicit superpowers, but there's some things there that could certainly qualify him as being in the superhero arena, right? And that's, I want to say, mm, 43. I don't have any reference in front of me. Um, so Lion Man predates, you know, Sam Wilson, T'Challa, and some of the other characters that we know, like Luke Cage and Black Lightning. Then you had a, a Black cowboy character named Lobo, who appeared in a comic, I want to say 56. Um, again, I don't have um, reference in front of me, but um, yeah. So uh, uh, in Marvel itself, no, Lobo was, uh, was 65. And Marvel itself uh, published a, a character, um, I want to say named uh, Waku um, in 1954. And But this was not the Marvel we knew. Marvel used to be a company called Atlas Comics. And so they had published other, um characters as well so it's a complicated answer uh you know this is like jeopardy where like um right. uh uh you got to go back to the judges and see if the answer counts so um okay uh, well but, you know in in all those complications is some really interesting history well jason you've been so good i've seen you literally chopping at the bit you're on the edge of your seat feel free to respond to all the the history that evan just laid out for us that's what I was saying. That's why you guys were after me before, because I was like, this isn't that simple. It depends. Now, I can't I can't cite the old publications the way that Evan can, but I would also mention when he talks about whether you're a prominent or not, you've got you've got Gabe from the Howling Commandos, yeah. uh, you know, which was, you know, sort of an old I, I, I don't think that was Marvel, but I know that Fury and the Howling Commandos, that Gabe was a character. Now, was he a superhero? I don't know. He was a World War II soldier who managed to not get killed by white folks. That makes you a bit of a hero. Uh, then you had uh, Mal Duncan, who had no powers, but he was also part of the Teen Titans, and I think that was the late 60s, and then eventually he got, like, a magical flute that he could play, because, you know, the Black characters, all they had to play... It was a horn, it wasn't the flute. Was Give him a, a little bit of respect. He was I'm like still super... on loincloth, but... Okay. <laughs> so, so, Evan is right. That was kind of my point, that if we're talking about the Black... A, a Black superhero or a Black super character, it's kind of hard to say. Now, as I also mentioned, the first Black superhero movie... I do believe is Abar the Black Superman, which was the black exploitation film that came out, I think, in 76 or 77. That was the first time on screen that you had a black person who appeared to have superhuman abilities uh, who was deemed to be a hero. And it, yes, well, Abar, the first black superman, it's literally called the first black superman. It's about this guy who was sort of a black panther who ends up protecting a black scientist who moves to a white neighborhood in LA and is abused by his terrible racist neighbors. They kill his son and the Black Panther gains superpowers to a formula and fights back against racist cops. Whew. 
Okay. You can find that one on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, I you know, and this is why I love this podcast and I love what we're doing here at The Brio because I think for a lot of folks, um, before Black Panther, there's a significant portion of the, the Black community that didn't really know the deep history of Black people in comics. And that's not to say that it did not exist. You are laying it out uh, quite succinctly. But I'm so glad that, A, Black Panther has been a, a widespread entree for a lot of folks in a very popular way. I know that there have been some debates online, Evan, about, you know, when there was a question as to whether or not Donald Glover would play Superman and there were real racial conversations about, you know, how dare, you know, uh, a Black person play, you know, this iconic figure. But race and superheroes, seems to always be a question, and race and comics has, has clearly been a question uh, for, for quite some time. I mean, Jason, we've had some conversations offline about, you know, Stan Lee and some of uh, his politics, I guess, coming through uh, through the pen, if you will. Right. Well, yeah, and, and here's the thing. I think, like most history, you and I are political scientists, right? And, you know, Evan, you know, worked as a journalist, even though now he's more of a content creator. We all know that sort of the values that get demonstrated through popular culture and art, they change it, you know, over time. Stan Lee was super duper progressive on a lot of levels for the 1960s. Did he do some problematic things by our own current standards? Yes, later on, and even at the time, but the guy was super duper progressive at the time and tried to make a lot of allegories about treating people fairly and fighting against discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. The idea of a lot of Marvel superheroes being people who fought, get, uh, fought back against bullies and institutional problems. I mean, those were really progressive values. If anything, I think the importance of some of the history that, that Evan is continuing with and that, you know, I talk about, that we're sort of having this conversation is there is a cultural push today to erase the progressive, especially on a racial level, history of comic books. You have all these websites, oh, comics are too woke and comics are too this, that, the other. It's the same thing as anti-CRT. These people are trying to erase the fact that for many, many, many decades in this country, comics were fighting the war against Hitler before our government did. Comics were talking about racial discrimination before television shows were. Comics were showing different kinds of science fiction and comics were showing different races of people working together for the greater good of America long before it hit some other mainstream areas. So talking about this is also a fight back against the desire today to erase that history. So Evan, before we go to our, our next commercial or our first commercial break, did you want to respond to anything Jason just said about Stan Lee and the history of comics? Yeah, just to kind of buttress what he was saying, like, you know, if you look at the origins of the two of the biggest iconic superheroes ever, Superman and Captain America, their first issue of Superman, uh, Action Comics number one, you see Superman, um, he goes to the uh, uh, the office of a corrupt politician. He yanks him out the window and he hangs him off a power line, you know, <laughs> like because this dude is abusing his office. He also busts in the wall of a, a, a man who's um, abusing his wife physically and like smacks him around. He's like, how do you like it? So, you know, these are, you know, versions of the character that, I think it sometimes get forgotten in conversations about superheroes and their politics. And then Captain America was a creation of two Jewish American men, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And, you know, during World War II, Cap, I think Cap's first comic is like 1940. Um, a couple of months before his debut, there was a, 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 a rally, I want to say in the old Penn Station or Madison Square Garden, uh, an American Nazi rally. So these are uh, supporters of Hitler uh, uh, before the uh, US had entered the war. 
And then when Captain America comes out, the iconic first cover is Captain America punching Hitler. You know, they got death threats. They got, you know, there was a time where their office would have to be guarded by police, you know. So there is um, a history politically of these characters being progressive as they become, you know, more um, analogous and synonymous with mainstream uh, American culture. So that's those, those edges get rubbed off, but it's, it's there. And in terms of race, you know, co co superhero comics have not been um, always a leader in that department, but, you know, the, the inherent power of superheroes as symbols, like makes it worth paying attention to when those, those moments have happened. Okay, listen, I didn't think this was going to happen, but listening to you two, I might go pick up some comic books after this episode. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I am thoroughly interested because of this intersection of race and history and politics. Uh, I, I I feel like I knew a little bit of it, but I don't, I, I definitely did not know the depth to which you all are, are essentially saying comic books have in many ways been the canaries in the mine. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Evan Narciss and Jason Johnson. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, so you're listening to The Blackest Questions. I'm with Evan Narciss and Jason Johnson. We're talking all things comic books. Uh, okay, so we know the Black Panther movie came out in 2018. It was an instant box office hit. My king. Stop it. Stop it. It grossed more than $1.3 billion worldwide and broke several box office records. It holds the spot as the sixth highest grossing film in U.S. history and became the first superhero film to be nominated for Best Picture at the, at the Academy Awards. The sequel, Wakanda Forever, no doubt, will also be crazy popular. So I'm going to ask each of you two questions about the Black Panther character. So Evan, I'm going to start with you. You ready? I am. Okay. Question number two in the Blackest Questions. What are the names of the major Wakandan tribes? Oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> Major. Okay. See, again, Chrissy, uh, uh, I have to interrogate the framing and context of the question, but okay. I'm going to try and answer it. So um, Wakandan tribes, most of the ones that have been prominent in the character's publishing history have based around been based around animal totems, right? So you have the panther tribe or the panther cultures sometimes called where the royal family has been aligned, T'Challa and his dad T'Chaka, Shuri, they're all descendants from that uh, from that tribe. You also have the lion tribe, uh, the hyena, the hyena clan, which are exiles that wander the continent. Um, who else? You have the Djibari, of course, um, who uh, worshipped uh, uh, a gorilla god named Gekre, um, among others. Um, so there's a bunch. Um, yeah, there's the Marube tribe, which were newly introduced by in, in the current run being written by John Ridley. So uh, that's my best shot at answering the question. Okay. Now it's Jason's turn, I guess. So, <laughs> yes. Jason, what are you, what do you think? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm just gonna piggyback of Evan. There are several, and the importance of those groups has sort of waxed and waned depending on who was writing them. Like 
I, I, I can't name them specifically, but I remember in Christopher Priest's run of the comic in the 1990s, which I loved it, but some of it is a bit dated and sexist now, to be honest, but I was a kid when I was reading it. Um, there were two main sort of ethnic tribes that were in conflict with each other in Wakanda, and therefore um, T'Challa created the Dora Milaje. Now, the way that most people understand the Dora Milaje today, it means adored ones, and they're these super, you know, they're uh, Danny Garai, they're these, you know, badass sisters who've got the spears and the right outfits and everything. But when they were initially introduced in the comic in the 90s, it was just two women. They were two young women who were just barely of age, uh, who were called the adored ones, and they were the personal bodyguards of, of, of King T'Challa. And the idea was that he would choose one of them or perhaps be in, you know, uh, uh, not polyamorous, but... Uh, uh, Polygamous. Yes. <laughs> yes, he would He would have He would have multiple wives. Sorry, the word was escaping me. But he would have multiple wives in order to keep all the different ethnic groups happy and satisfied so that one ethnic group wasn't really dominating the country. So I don't remember which tribes, which ethnic groups they were from, but there were two prominent ones in the comic in the 90s. And then when Ta-Nehisi Coates took over the comic, he sort of expanded the idea and said, no, they're not these, you know, teenage hot sidekicks of, you know, the Black Panther. They're actually a group of women warriors who protect the country. And they represent all sorts of different kinds of ethnic groups, although it, it could be argued that in his last run, they sort of broke off and created their own group of people calling themselves the Midnight Angels. So there's hundreds of ethnic groups <laughs> in Wakanda. So Okay, so... so before you all go a little deeper, my producers and I, we put together River Tribe, Border Tribe, Merchant Tribe, Mining Tribe. Yeah, that's from the movie. Yeah, that's um, from the movie. Yeah, you, you're, talking the the you're talking to comic book guys here, Christian. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Which, okay, so, so, Evan, this is a really important point, because how do you all feel about things being changed once a story is taken from a comic book and is, is adapted yeah, to the big so screen? Yeah, I, so I, I can speak uh, to this at length, but the short answer is, um comic book um characters and the mythos that they that 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 accrues around them that's a living history right so even the stuff we're talking about it changes right when wakanda and t'challa were first introduced in the 60s you know there there weren't no tribes they mentioned there were wakanda was often referred to as the wakandas right and implicit in that this idea was multiple factions within one nation right so you've seen that idea expand into some of what we now understand to be tribes or factions or ethnic groups, right? So um, this constant flow of like adaptation, recontextualization, you know, uh, de-emphasizing and, 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 and overemphasizing certain elements happens within all these long-lived legacy characters, right? So, you know, uh, what Jason's talking about, the evolution of the Dora Milaje happens in the text, right? So one writer comes on and is like, you know what? I'm going to change the Dora Milaje. To, and, and even though when they first appeared, they were an invention of T'Challa, you, you go, other writers uh, go back, myself in, included, and they establish it as a historical precedent that goes back decades and centuries, right? So when they first appear, that seed gets planted, and then the seed grows in lots of different directions, that's forwards and backwards in time, right? So that's one of the great things about comics is they're they're constantly evolving. It can be confusing to jump in, but like if 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 you jump in and just start exploring, you're gonna find all these different paths that you know sometimes diverge and converge and go in different directions. And 
the tribal history of Wakanda as a fictional concept is one of those examples. I had to go into this because I wrote a book called the Wakanda Atlas, which focuses on places uh, where important events have happened. And that's, again, like, you know, digging up, digging in the crates of comic book history to see like, oh, okay, back, back in the day in the 70s, Wakanda had one city, you know, it was the capital and it was called Central Wakanda. But now we have Vernon Zana, Vernon Azaria, Vernon is uh, Wakanda word for city. And, you know, now it's in, it feels more cosmopolitan. It feels more like a multi-layered society than it ever has before. And that's, you know, part and parcel of the, the again, the continuing evolution of, of the lore of Black Panther over the decades. So, Jason, Evan makes a really important point that I, I think our listeners need to know. Listen, I'm a loyal citizen of Zamunda, so this is, <laughs> you know, I appreciate the Wakanda breakdown, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm going to ride with Zamunda, but there is no text for that, and I appreciate the written word. But the way Evan talked about history sort of jumping in and how comics can go forward and backwards, for someone who's listening who wants to know a lot more about this entire universe, how do they even get started? Because I think if I'm listening to Evan and Jason and I'm interested in a deeper understanding of Wakanda, what, what do I even pick up to start with? Do I pick up the Atlas? What's the first comic book that I should pick up to kind of introduce me to this really deep world of Blackness? I can't believe you're asking Jason's question first. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, oh, no. Listen, Jason, I don't have a doctor in front of my name, so in. I guess, I guess you're going to take this one. Listen, here's, here's the, hold on, Jason. Here's the thing. <laughs> we know that Evan is a narrative designer, content creator, journalist, right? He's not letting me run this podcast where I'm going to let you set the foundation and then Evan's going to come in, flourish on top, Really cultivate the seeds, right? I'm letting you plant the seed. I'm letting Evan cultivate the seed, and then I'm gonna go to commercial break. But here we go. Evan, do you want to answer this question first? Oh no, no, no. Okay. No. Evan's got a better answer. I'm gonna say already he's gonna have a better answer. What I'm gonna say is this, Dr. Greer. I'm just gonna say up front, which thrills me immensely, that the pack of comics that I have had waiting for you for five years. <laughs> I'm talking about this that will introduce you to everything. I've got, I've got steam. I've got bitterroot. I've got old black. I've got tons of stuff. So if you want to learn about comics, comics in general, best thing is either one, ask somebody that you know who's into it. But two, most basically, and and Evan will be able to speak to this way, way better than I can. Like literally, people who get into comics, you can start anywhere you want. That's the beauty of it. There is no wrong, it's it's literally, it's not quite a choose your own adventure, but if you pick up a comic from 2004, a Black Panther comic written by Reginald Hudlin in 2004, you may read 12 of those and be like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And then you can read Evan Narcisse's version, and then you can read Christopher Priest, and then you can read John Ridley. That's the amazing part. It's multiple, it's like Sherlock Holmes or, or, or Batman. There's so many different versions. There's no wrong way to start. The issue is just making sure you start. Okay. Evan, <laughs> what would you like um, to tell me? You know, it's funny because uh, those of us who started when we when we were younger and when mm -hmm. comics were less of a mainstream um, aspect of popular culture, like we, we gravitated towards uh, characters, right? You know, so are you a Superman fan? Do you like Marvel? you like DC? I think the 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 more grown-up version of is to follow the talent that you love, right? So like, you know, if you like Christopher Priest from Black Panther, guess what? He's written Batman comics, too. He's written. So if you like his sensibility and his storytelling chops, you can follow him as a creator. Right. Um, 
And comics is a work for hire business, which means sometimes you don't always get to see work from your favorite creators, depending on whether they're getting work from publishers or not. Um, there's also self-publishing, which is a whole other thing, which is a really robust and entertaining arena of the medium. So, you know, I, you know where to start? I think, um, you know, your local comic shop is a good place. You know, they can guide you depending on your taste. You know, uh, I'm going to go a little bit deep here. Um, <laughs> If you all read Paul Beatty, he wrote The White Boy Shuffle, The Sellout. Mm -hmm. um, he has a book uh, where one of the characters is a jukebox sommelier, where he'll design he'll design a jukebox with the perfect playlist for the, for the, for the um, clientele that this venue might host. Um, and I always thought, like, I would love to have that job for, like, for comics and video games. And my job, when I was working as a critic, that's kind of what I did, right? Oh, you like soap operas? Well, here's where you should read. Here's where you should play. You like this? You like that? So, you know... Uh, uh, comics tend to be dominated by superheroes as a genre because they make a lot of money, they're flashy, lots of visibility, but there's comics telling all kinds of stories. You know, David Walker's a writer who's written um, uh, a biography of uh, Frederick Douglass in graphic novel form. He did the Black Panthers, a book that came out earlier this year. So there's really comics about anything, and comics are a medium that tell any kind of stories. But if you want to get down with the X-Men, if you want to get down with Batman or Spider-Man, um, your local comic shop is probably the best place for you to go. To go. Um, if you're asking, if you're talking Black Panther specifically, mm -hmm. again, there's probably a list as long as my arm here, but, you know, I'd start with Christopher Priest, uh, Black Panther Run. All these are in, in trade paperbacks that are collected. You can find at a comic book store or your local bookstore. Um, support independent uh, booksellers, y'all, um, especially if they're Black. Um, I probably don't need to say that in this podcast, right? <laughs> but hey, it, it, we, we like to repeat it. We like to repeat yeah, it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so Christopher Priest's um, run is great. You know, there's some comics from the 70s by Don McGregor uh, that were uh, uh, in a title called Jungle Action, which are foundational. They're a little bit dated. Um, some of this stuff is going to be a little bit dated. Um, I recommend Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, run. Um, all of it. He wrote it for five years, The Black Panther. He would start with a collection called A Nation Under Her Feet. I'm going to plug my own book, Rise of the Black Panther. You better um, plug your own book. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know... Uh, Nettie Okorafor wrote a great Shuri book. Mm. Um, Roxane Gay wrote a great storyline in, in a title called uh, World of Wakanda that focuses on Dora Milaje. Um, so there's really, one of the things, great things about the latter-day evolution of the Black Panther mythos is there are so many voices now and so many different types of experiences. So, like, you know, one of the things I like about Roxanne's run was, like, she she took it from the vantage point of the Dormelage, who are soldiers, who are warriors. They're not the people on the throne. They're not the people making decisions. And sometimes they're, they're, their views and attitudes are in direct conflict with the people who command them, and there's great tension there. So it's, like, a, a from-the-ground-up view of Wakanda as a concept, and I, and I love that. So the, the whole publishing history of the character really supports, like, lots of different inflections and facets, and it's a it's a big, beautiful world to dive into and get lost. Oh, all right. Thank you so much, Evan. I really love that reflection. I am talking to Evan Narcis and Jason Johnson. You're listening to The Black's Questions, and we will be right back. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the Black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back playing the Blackest Questions. I'm here with Evan Narcis and Jason Johnson. I'm learning a ton about Black people, comic books, the history of Blacks in comics, and I think I'm changed. I think they may have converted <laughs> me. We'll see. 
We'll see. Jason, you might have so to just send me a package uh, next week and that, get me that, started. That tingling is your mutant gene activating, Tristan. <laughs> oh, is it you'll, is it? you'll understand that in a couple of months. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on now. Hold on. Is that a Spider-Man reference? Uh, you're so close. Yeah, you oh. uh, uh, Okay. No, All right. Really I'll, okay. I'll get there. How about this? <laughs> no, he he, he got, he got bit by a spider. I'll have yeah. you guys back in a year. Wow, okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna dominate this comic book conversation. <laughs> yeah, you, you you better be wearing a cape. Right. Uh-oh. You gotta have on the shirt. You gotta have something. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna have you ready. I'm well, I was ready. wearing black because I was like, yeah, it's like the Black Panther vibe. That's what I was going for. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good start. Right. Jason, I'm gonna start with you on this question. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you all will have all the things to say about how my question is worded incorrectly, but here we go. <laughs> question number three, blackest question. What does the war dog tattoo mean in the Black Panther movie? Mm. Uh, so the war dog tattoo, which was sort of almost a, like a, it was almost like liquid vibranium, whatever that was in the inside of somebody's lip. Those were uh, sleeper agents that the Wakandan government had sent throughout the world to sort of keep track of things. And, uh, and, and um, uh, Killmonger's father, had been a war dog who had a relationship with an American woman, and that's why he sort of always felt the kinship and desire to go back to the country. Um, they're based on, from the comic, uh, again, during Priest Run, you had, they called the the Hetut Zarase, I think, Dogs of War. Uh, they were run by, at that point, a, what I thought was a great character that hasn't really appeared as much lately. Evan did a little stuff with him. Um, they were run by a great character named Hunter, who was actually an adopted white older brother of T'Challa. He was the first sibling that T'Challa had. Yes, T'Challa used to have a white older brother before they <laughs> he's even... Still, he's still her. around, yeah. Okay, okay so, yeah. You one, you're stuff. correct, Jason. That is a symbol for Wakandan spies. Yes. I want you all to walk through. Are there other symbols in the movie that people may have missed? Now, here's the thing. When I saw the movie, I was like, I'm Team Killmonger. I don't understand what the <laughs> issue is. Like, I'm with this young brother who's like... My family just left me in America of all places and they're living high on the hog in Wakanda. I would be on a warpath myself. So I didn't understand the debate as to like, what's wrong with Killmonger? I was like, yeah, I'm totally Killmonger. Like this is, I mean, then again, I also read Lord of the Flies and I identified with Jack and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> here we are. We gotta, we gotta make the best of what we have on this island. Let's get it going. So what else did we miss in the movie, gentlemen, um, that that we should be attuned to, and then maybe some of the other differences between the movie and the book uh, that might get our listeners a little more excited. Um, you know, I think the the first movie did a great job of synthesizing um, so much of the lore uh, from Black Panther's publishing history, right? So, you know, they gave Killmonger an origin that he didn't have in mm. the comics, you know, <laughs> making him part of the royal family, uh, while keeping some of the stuff that did make him distinct as uh antagonist for T'Challa, right? Like he grew up in exile. He grew up away from the country that he was told he came from, right? From the place, from the continent. And I think that's at the core of Killmonger's character, right? Like, and I think what's so appealing about him, like you said, is like, oh, I have this broken in history, right? Mm-hmm. I can't connect back to the place that I know I come from. And I have feelings about that, you know, like really intense feelings. And I think, you know, people who are in the black diaspora who grew up off outside of the African continent, probably feel like, okay, how do I reckon with my history? How can I, what, what, how do I find my place? We, the reason Killmonger is wrong 
<laughs> is we you ain't gotta kill people and you don't have to become a, a, a petty despot and a tyrant. Oh, you, Chrissy's like you. Oh, you gotta you gotta break a couple of eggs. That's what your face tells me right I now. Mean, I wrote a book called Black Ethnics, so I understand what you're saying about the diaspora, the the disconnect. But I mean, as I said before, I am a loyal citizen of Zamunda. So like this kind of like dictatorship slash monarchy, I'm like. Ah! You're like, as long as it's a benevolent one. I mean, um, as long as I'm at the top of the food chain, I don't see what the problem is. But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, I've been saying this for four years. The person who was really right is Nakia, right? Like, she talks about, okay, let's 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 reintegrate, let's combine, let's reach to the outside world, let's leave our isolationism behind. And, you know, um, I haven't seen a new movie yet. I am eager to see uh, uh, how they play with the politics and the kind of... Um, foreign policy that mm-hmm. uh um surrounds wakanda so that's something i'm really looking forward to what are some things that we should look out for in the in the movie that is different from the book well i, I think the thing that you always want to pay attention to is that one the book can be anything right because we, we've been talking about the fact there's multiple versions of the book but i think one of the things to really pay attention to in this new film, which, again, I have not seen, I know a bit about it, how it's structured, how it's put together plot-wise, is this idea of, you know, what inter-ethnic conflict also does within a country, right? Before you had sort of, in the first movie, you had a political revolution. Now you're talking about sort of intra-conflict between the Atlanteans and the Wakandans, and then some of the internal strife that you have in the country. That's the kind of things you want to pay attention to, because that's where your real sort of allegory for the real world comes in, uh, that one of the things I think Marvel does a particularly good job of, and I think that Black Panther as a comic has done a good job of, is creating villains who aren't so much sympathetic, but whose perspectives make sense to you. When right. you hear why Namor does what he does, it kind of makes sense. Just like when you heard why Magneto does what he does, it kind of makes sense. Marvel does this thing, and sometimes it's a bit of a trope, where it's like the bad guy is absolutely right, but in order to discredit them, they have them going about their right idea in the absolute wrong way. And that's that'll right. be something interesting to see. Okay, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. And when I come back, we'll play a little bit more of Blackest Questions with Evan and Jason. You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Don't forget, you can listen to the Griot's Writing Black Podcast, hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are. Okay, gentlemen, we're back. We've got time for our last question. Evan, I'm going to start with you. And here we are. You ready? I am. What famous actor attempted a Black Panther movie back in 1992? You ain't even got to finish the question. You don't have to finish the question. Yeah, because everybody knows this. What? It's Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Okay, Snipes planned to star as the Black Panther and even owned the rights to three different scripts. He claims the name Black Panther scared the top industry people in Hollywood who associated the title with political organization instead of the comic book character. So Snipes also says technology and CGI capabilities were not what they are today, and it wouldn't have looked the way it does now. So he's happy it happened decades later. So instead of making Black Panther, Snipes went on to star in Blade. Did you all know that? Of course you did. (laughs) <laughs> things, comic books. Well, I'm even asking. So, are there any other comic book characters you'd like to see on the big screen that haven't gotten the chance yet? Evan, I'll start with you, and then Jason, I'll I'll bring it back to you. So, funny historical footnote about Wesley's story um, and trying to develop a Black Panther movie. 
um, in the late 60s, maybe early 70s, uh, Marvel actually changed T'Challa's superhero codename to the Black Leopard for those self-same reasons. They were like, oh, these Black Panthers are, you know, scary. You know, maybe we should change our superhero character to a different name. Um, so there is some precedent there. Okay. Uh, in terms of actually answering your questions, Chrissy, like, uh, for me, it has to start with the, the characters from Milestone Media. Um, Milestone Media was a Black-owned comic book company uh, that's launched in 1993. They created a multicultural superhero universe set in the city of Dakota. So for any, you know, of our, our, our I would say, Generation Xers who remember the show Static Shock, Static was originally a Milestone superhero character. They also had characters called Icon, Hardware, Rocket. And the beautiful thing about the Dakotaverse, as it's called, is that because they had so much multiplicity of representation, like Black people from different economic, socioeconomic classes, you know, queer people, uh, uh, people from diff different ethnicities, Asian, uh, multiple Latinx characters, including some Afro-Latinx characters. They, so tokenism was just not a thing in the Milestone universe. And these characters have amazing depth. Uh, Icon, for example, is a riff on the Superman myth, um, where uh, a, a aliens spaceship lands in uh, in the South, uh, right before the Civil War, and he grows up as black, and and basically be, he's an alien who's immortal and has superpowers, and he lives for the entire 20th century until the present day. Um, and you know, one of the twists they gave him was that he's politically conservative, kind of modeled on Colin Powell, right? Um, unfortunately, Clarence Thomas was a fan. We don't co-sign that, but he did, he did write into the editorial offices back in the day. So that's just an example of like the kind of scope and scale that Milestone was able to, um, bring to bear. The company went away for a while. They just rebooted that universe at DC Comics. They've got a new, uh, bunch of books, um, in that vein. So definitely the characters in Milestone Media. And if I had to pick one, probably Icon and Rocket. They're a great superhero team that just tugs at my heartstrings. Ooh, I can't wait for you to write the the new <laughs> the new series then. That's what I'm putting in the universe. Get it? Thank you. Thank you for helping me manifest. <laughs> oh, I All see right. what you did there too. You see what nice. I did there? You see what I did there? Put it out in the universe. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Jason, I'd love for our listeners uh, who aren't watching the video version of this podcast, you've got basically what Evan just said, uh, a Black Panther Bobby Seal t-shirt on, which possibly scared folks uh, thinking about Black Panther and the Black Panthers. But if you could see a character that's possibly uh, underdeveloped or, you know, not really discussed as much on the big screen, who hasn't really gotten their shine, who would it be? I actually got this t-shirt at the Black comic book sort of presentation event at the Schomburg Center, which is the last time I saw Evan in person. Yeah, Black comic, the Black Comics Festival. Shout yeah. out to the Schomburg for doing that for 10 years now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, that's actually that's actually where I got this. I think it was either this or the Blur and Bougie party. But but anyway, um, I, I would completely agree. I loved Icon and Rocket. Like it's 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 such a great story. It's but it would have to be handled with such care because I would want them to tell the original story from the '90s, which actually ends up featuring his sidekick is a teen mom, uh, and that happens about halfway through the story. And if that was handled properly and his conservative, it's it's a wonderful heartbreaking, moving, exciting, engaging story. Like, it's everything about comics and movies in general that you would like. Uh, I'd say two others, because the interesting thing we're, we're in now, Dr. Greer, is that a lot of comics are being bought as IPs, and they are in various versions of production. We don't know how good they'll be. I can't wait for Regina King's version of Bitterroot. Bitterroot is basically steampunk Ghostbusters with Black people in the 20s. 
if this is done right, it should be an amazing movie. Um, HBO just announced that they're scrapping their pre for all the things that they're ruining. They're scrapping the previous version of a Green Lantern show, and now they're going to feature John Stewart. John Stewart is one of my favorite characters. Anyone who watches me on TV sees I've got tons of John Stewart action figures, his comics, and everything behind me. So those are some characters that I think it would be great to see put on screen. I'll say this: there's a little-known book because it only had one run, I think, for 12 issues, and it was called Excellence. Um, and it was, yeah. it, it sort of featured a Michael B. Jordan-esque character, but it was about these black folks that were basically magical guardians of the universe. Fantastic story. Yep. Really enjoyed that book. Brandon Thomas, Kyrie. Uh, um, yeah, I know those guys. Um, it's amazing comic. You can find it from Image Comics, but yes, yes. self-published. They own it. It's their own creation. Great stuff. Well, well, gentlemen, dare I say I've been bitten by the comic book bug. Oh my goodness. See what I did there? <laughs> See what I did there? I'm getting there. It, Your mom jokes a, are great. That's a Spider-Man joke, isn't it? It is, is it correct. Not? Is yes, it we... not, people? <laughs> well, Evan, I can't thank you enough for joining us on The Blackest Questions. Jason, obviously, I love having you back. Um, I really appreciate, though, and all jokes aside, I so appreciate the level of knowledge and respect that both of you have for this genre and for really bringing it and, and decoding it and bringing it to the masses, especially for people like me who, who don't know much uh, about comic books at all. Um, last quick, quick question, just 10 seconds. Is there anything you want fans to know about uh, any iconic characters that we haven't touched on? Like if there's one character that you say, dig a little deeper. I'm gonna plug my own work here. I'm just do gonna it. do you it. Do it, you better. Um, there is, uh... Tanahasi's last big storyline in the Black Panther run that he wrote was the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. And a bunch of Wakandans were exploring space, got lost, formed a, a evil slaveholding empire. And in that empire, there's a version of, uh, there's a young warrior named M'Baku. So he's got the same name as a character, but totally different version. Okay. And I've written two of his adventures so far. And in that, I've tried to express again, like a from the bottom up kind of philosophy of superheroing, right? You know, he's not a dude who was born rich. You know, he was a, he's used to be a slave. He came up hard, um, but now he's in charge of an empire. What do you do? How do you wield power? Which is one of the questions that um, superheroes tackle really well. When and where can I find this version? Uh, so you can find um, him in the Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda storyline, which is collected in paperbacks. There's also a new title called Wakanda, which I've uh, written the backup for and some lead stories for, which is out now. And issue two will be probably on the stands by the time you're listening to this uh, this podcast. Oh, so, so let's sorry. just say the new version of Mbaku. Well, you know, I'm buying it just because, A, I got to support. But I'm going to read it now that I buy it. Yeah, yeah I'll, ask, I'll answer all your questions. And, See, and, and like, who gets to say I've got two personal comic book scholars <laughs> on in my Rolodex that I can just roll up? It's like, you know what? I've got a question about page three, episode 27, 1962. <laughs> Jason, okay, before I let you all out of here. Who's a character that we should um, explore just a little bit more? Yeah, uh, so I wanted to make sure, because in all of our talking about this, I really wanted to highlight some Black women superhero characters that I think are really great. Uh, I think it was Vita Alaya did a series called Livewire about this woman who is a techno-telepath. It was a really great run. It was about 12 issues. I think it was in Valiant Comics. It's about this Black woman who can literally control technology with her mind. Really great adventure. It's kind of a chase, fugitive sort of thing. So I think that's a great book. Um, the Shuri comic that uh, Nettie Okafor wrote that Evan made a reference to. That is a great book. It's really, it's all ages. Like if you've got a 13, 14, 15 year old niece or cousin or daughter, that's a really great book to look at. 
Um, I also think that that overall, if there's one character that I think is really, really interesting that I don't think has had the best story yet, but you might find her interesting, is actually a character named Vixen, uh, who is was created, I think, in the 70s. She's a black supermodel who has this totem that gives her super animal powers, whatever it is. She had this great sort of Mr. and Mrs. Smith relationship with this uh, uh, black assassin who goes by the name of Bronze Tiger, and they were like these... Uh, well, I can't use the term bad butt, I guess, because we can't cuss on this. Um, these sort of bad assassins and a comic called Suicide Squad in the 80s. I think Vixen is probably one of the most undeveloped, underdeveloped black women characters in all of comics. She should be way more interesting and way more prominent than she has been. And that's one I would tell people to look into. Take a look at Livewire by Vita Elia. Take a look at the Shuri comic. And if you can find old Suicide Squads or limited series about Vixen, it's worth it. She's really interesting. Oh, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, for our listeners out there, you've been listening to the brilliance of Evan Narciss and Jason Johnson. I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. If you like what you heard, please download the Grio app and listen and watch many more great shows. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again. You are now listening to the Grio's Black Podcast Network. Black culture amplified. Don't forget, you can listen to the Griot's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are. <laughs>